Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. Oh, boy. Hey, look, everyone, it's Mando! So, the episode starts off where we see some Clatoonians cutting meat and... Who arrives behind the curtain? That is the silhouette of Din Djarin, not Boba Fett, our Mandalorian gunslinger. He has his spear, and so we know what time it is. It is in the modern day. He banters with his bounty, and uh, he pulls out his old cool lines, and he fights the guards, uh, and he pulls out a new weapon. He has the Darksaber with him. He kind of wrecks the place a little bit, uh, including himself, because he kind of sucks with it. It seems really heavy for him, uh, and he cuts himself in a couple different places. Uh, and he cuts the head off of his bounty uh, and wanders out kind of limpingly uh, and makes his way throughout the city and delivers his bounty to his target uh, and then limps his way to the underworld of this mysterious kind of ringish world mm -hmm. uh, to get aid from a couple of old allies. So this kind of establishes that since we last saw Din, since he parted uh, from Grogu, he's slipped back into his old ways of just being like a really ruthless bounty hunter who does the work and does it alone. Um, and so he has a, a couple of meetings, discusses some other potential jobs. Um, but while he's on this strange ring city, which I mean, like, I'm not going to be the first person who compares it to Halo. Um, he has uh, a little secret meeting with some more familiar Mandalorians, uh, the Armorer, who we recognize from previous seasons, and also this Vizsla dude, who I'm not sure if we've seen him specifically before, but he's a total beefcake, and he's interesting. Um, and he kind of has to catch them up on how he came to be in custody of the Darksaber, and there's a little back and forth about exactly what that means to him as uh, a Mandalorian going forward. Yes, so uh, they kind of talk about the history of the Darksaber, uh, and then the armorer asks uh, Din to for his spear so that they can melt it down. Uh, Din asks for them to make uh, armor for Grogu with it. Yeah. Uh, they make uh, what appears to be kind of like chainmail armor, so that's going to be super cute to see him wear. Um, and uh, Din practices with the Darksaber with the armorer. And then Paz Vizsla calls him out for essentially being unworthy because you didn't kill Moff Gideon in the duel uh, and because uh, the Vizslas are an arrogant family through and through. Uh, and so he wants the Darksaber. They fight. Din wins. And the armorer calls it for Din, essentially saying, recite your creed. Uh, did you ever take off the helmet? Uh, Paz is like, no, of course not. Uh, and Din pauses and then is essentially stripped of being a Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. He's told he needs to go to the living waters underneath uh, the destroyed Mandalore to be able to redeem himself, um, and uh, then walks away in shame, basically, and hops a flight uh, to Tatooine. He basically takes a space bus to Tatooine uh, to go to Pelimato's old shop because they've been in a little communication, and he thinks that she's got a Razor Crest for him there, but in fact, it's just a Razor Crest replacement and we see that it is an n1 starfighter which was such a pleasure to see and by the way uh it's in shambles it's basically been uh wrecked probably since that big war of naboo um and she insists she's got all the pieces hey we'll work on it together and they have a cool springsteen like day in the garage where they restored this ship and there's droids there and uh it's kind of a rocky start once they they get it going it's a little a little creaky he has a, a bit of a tricky time getting a feel for it but uh he manages and he gets up into the atmosphere above the atmosphere and uh 
Oh boy, he runs into, this happens to Din so much. Anytime he's just like trying to mind his own business in a ship up in space, he gets pulled over by the cops. And it's, uh, what's his name from Kim's Convenience and another dude. They don't see him by face, but they recognize him by voice and a little bit of questioning occurs. And they're trying to figure out if if this is the the familiar voice that uh, that used to fly a razor crest and has caused trouble before. And uh, Mando... He doesn't really want to let on exactly who he is. He's kind of uh, telling some lies about why his new ship isn't uh, properly licensed or registered, realizing he's not going to get out of this one. He just flees. And so we meet back up on Tatooine. He lands and uh, Peli says, oh, well, I've kind of scared away somebody who came looking for you. And then Fennec pops down and they have a little conversation. Boba needs some extra muscle. Din agrees, oh, I'll do that job for free, but I have my little friend that I need to go see first. It's really hard not and to so not to recap. There. It's really hard not to recap this episode in like a lot of detail because it feels for the first time in weeks like everything matters so much. And it, I mean, uh, obviously the main takeaway is that this is really not an episode of the Book of Boba Fett at all. It's a sneaky episode of Mando between season two and three. Yes, it's very much considered Mando season 2.5 in, in the rumor world. And uh, we now know why uh, this was an episode of The Mandalorian. And that is pretty much my major and sole criticism of the episode is that it doesn't feel like it belongs. But other than that, I enjoyed it so thoroughly that oh, yeah. I don't care where, like what show it is in. It's just a weird choice. It just feels like that. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense but it was still the best episode of the, uh, the bloody show thus far, and I loved it. I wouldn't say that it doesn't make sense. I just think that it's in a context unto itself. Like, uh, only Star Wars, and I guess, like, also Marvel, uh, operates from this, this privileged position of, we know you've seen this other show. We know you're not going to feel alienated by, by us completely benching our main character to tell you this story for a while. And, and like, most shows when they try and do some really aformatic episode, it it it's upsetting. Like I think there's a few of them in Lost where like suddenly you don't really feel like you're watching the show that you're that you always loved. And it it, it feels like a wasted episode. And this, while unusual, certainly doesn't feel like a wasted episode. In fact, it feels like a highly critical episode for the story of Din. And so that's what's kind of interesting. If you're only watching Mando, say because you're a Grogu fan, and you figure I can probably skip Book of Boba Fett, especially since the first two episodes bored you to tears and you didn't watch the second two, um, you might come back to Mando and be like, well, wait, what happened to his spear and how he, how did he get this ship and where did the chain mail come from? It actually might be a little bit of a blind spot between season two and three. Yes, it is telling you that uh, all of this matters and that you need to see it all. Yeah. Uh, that is good and bad. Uh, I think that it will... Uh, potential because this doesn't have as good a rating as uh the mandalorian right and so it'll leave people with some questions and they'll feel like oh that's a little cheap to make me need to watch this other thing to fully get an understanding of what's going on uh but the fact that the book of Boba fett was introduced within the mandalorian and the mandalorian goes by chapters mm -hmm. and this is the book of boba fett it's almost like it's um, just the way you would have to view uh, a larger text anyway. And that this is just a chapter of the Mandoverse that Favreau and Filoni have created here. Uh, and that um, 
this whole thing is more of an interlude than this episode is an interlude uh, in Book of Boba Fett. Book of Boba Fett's more of an interlude in the Mando verse. And this is more of a return to form, you could almost say. Yeah, the other structural literary word I would use is epic. Like we always, we always use the word saga to describe like a really long version of the Star Wars story. But typically, a saga is like one character's story or like a singular linear story. But an epic has all of these side pockets. It can't just be one person's story. It has to be generational and and uh, cross geographic and and. That, that's really a nice way that the the chapter milieu kind of plays a, a bit of a role. Um, really well, like, visual design. Did you love the Ring City? Do we have a name for this place yet? No, I don't think we have a, a name for it. But yes, I thought it was a really fresh and cool uh, take. Uh, I, I don't know if it exists in Legends. I'm sure it, I'm sure it does because it's so science fiction-y that there's no way that Star Wars hasn't tapped into that before with several planets that uh, kind of have that uh, that similar style. But the, the Halo look was great. Yes. Uh, I thought it, it made a lot of sense, uh, and it was uh, kind of a cool underworldish looking place. But um, I think uh, Din called it the, what did he call it, the sub, uh, the sub-Terra or the... Mm. Um, the yeah, the, the substrata, uh, which was where the uh, the armor and Paz Vizsla were hanging out. That was like a, a really Star Warsy, straight out of A New Hope. Oh yeah, um, Star Destroyer style layout, and it, that was that was awesome. And it just it felt really good to be up in space on a show that has been so grounded. Hell yeah. Yes, good point. Maybe that's another reason why this episode felt so fresh, because we felt so terrestrial in Tatooine, kind of imprisoned there for for the last several mm. weeks. So a lot of discussion of the way in this episode. And I, it, interestingly, uh, Mando has had his heart broken. He opened his heart to something. And now he is alone once again. And here he is also in possession of the, of the uh, Darksaber. And where he has occasionally... Uh, bent the rules of his creed in his own private journey. Here he is alone again. And I, I think he's kind of hoping he can sort of like slip back into the way and just go on being the tried and true, at times unreasonable <laughs> Mandalorian that he set out to be originally. And of course, uh, when his truth is found out, he's not accepted among the Mandalorians anymore. And she says, Go basically to the river sticks and be cleansed of your sins. And am I right to assume he's not going to do that at this point? He's going to be like, well, screw the Mandalorian Creed then. Like, I'm on my own. Is that what you took from this? Uh, I think he's probably going to want to go to that living water and uh, and cleanse himself. Okay. I think that he uh, I think he cares. Uh, he he was begging for forgiveness right away. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, dude, did you not realize you're part of a cult? I just and think it's also, a fallback. Like I think that he he clearly yeah, doesn't doesn't, doesn't want to be loose, so he right. needs this other crunch. She's so unreasonable. I mean, like she's cool and her like furry collar and her helmet is very cool, and so is Paz Vizsla, by the way. Like he almost looks like like Iron Man or something. Um, but they're they're. Both... I wonder why. You know who voices him, right? Well, I I know that I, I think I thought that uh, Favreau voiced pre Vizsla. Am I right about that mm -hmm. as well? You are right about that as well. He voices both of them. So Paz Vizsla was in season one of The Mandalorian, uh, and he is a, a descendant. So um, my guess is Favreau is going to voice every Vizsla that he ever can. 
and when Tar Vizsla eventually has his animated or maybe, well, not if it's a live action, but if he ever has an animated appearance in some uh, show that is like a maybe an old Republic uh, animated show, Favreau will one hundred percent voice Tar Vizsla yeah. as well. It's uh, it's the 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 first family of Mandalore basically, and so he's kind of claimed right to to do be the Vizslas. Part of me even wondered if he was like the body stand in for the character as well. And Favreau's like a pretty heavy set dude. I, I don't I I don't think he's quite as like muscular as Paz Vizsla, but Paz is like no, he's like a big beefy guy too. So I was like trying to rationalize whether or not it was like actually him doing the physicality. And then there's the the combat sequence, which doesn't really like strain Paz Vizsla that much physically. Like I figured, yeah, maybe it could be a little bit of John in there, but I actually don't think so. No, I don't think so. And I actually, I don't think there's a, I would, I would be pretty surprised if there is a single frame of Pedro Pascal's body in this, in this episode. Oh, wow. I'd be, I would be pretty surprised. I, it would, it is, it is so little work. It is very, 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 very little uh, physical acting. And uh, the fight scenes are great, but the majority of the fight scenes are done by Latif Crowder. And uh, the the classic uh, walk, I, I've kind of been able to tell when it's Brendan Wayne's walk. You uh, think? Depending on, like, well, because the majority of the street walking scenes from season one, I know are Brendan Wayne. Mm. And so there's a little bit of a strut to it that you can kind of tell. And so I'm pretty sure there's very little Pedro here. I could be wrong, uh, in which case uh, they've mirrored each other so amazingly. Uh, but overall, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Uh, no. It was just so good to see our friend Din back. It felt like it, it really got me excited uh, as much as Boba has been a really great character. Din feels more like your friend that you're on the journey with he, because he is the, he, he is the real hero of this timeline yes. and being the one that we, we, the audience connect with so much. Uh, even though people in like Din doesn't know any of the deep lore. Uh, and so a lot of audience members know a lot more than Din does. But it still doesn't escape the fact that we're all still din in that we're we still don't really know what's going next and we're we've got this uh plot armor on us and it's 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 great to be to be kind of brought home back with him and are we gonna see grogu in the next episode i kind of think we are well now i kind of do which i never would have predicted that but like that they, yeah, I think it's a little chain mail that we're going to get to see Grogu in his own little version of Mandalorian armor made out of the the Beskar spear is adorable. And that it's like tied up into a little bow that resemble his ears is not a coincidence. Like it's just such no. a great, a great little design. I can't wait. I, I think that we will, except the sad thing for the Book of Boba Fett, which is the marquee, is that another show is swooping in and stealing its thunder. And by the way, kind of proving also that we never really needed uh, a solo story about uh, Boba Fett, the real guy. Because the whole reason, we, we've talked about this before, the whole reason The Mandalorian exists is because they wanted to tell a Boba Fett story, but they didn't want to be beholden to all the canonical stuff they'd already established about Boba Fett. And so they did both, and I don't think they should have. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like, there. Well, I I think they should have kept Boba the way he was, uh, and and we'll see more about Boba. Uh, it does. It is really going to be interesting to see. It, it's hard to. It's weird that we're not talking about Boba in the book of Boba Fett, but he's not in this episode. He's not in. So, it. Nope. I mean, like Fennec's in it, and there's there's no Boba. Uh, so we don't really know if there's any progression there. That story has has stagnated. Uh, but this, but not in a bad way, but what is Din going to bring to the table? Are we going to do another chapter of Mando season 2.5? Uh, is Fennec going to come with him? Or is Boba going to come with him? Are they, are, like, is Luke going to be in this next episode? Is Din going to be off world? And that's why he's, so he's only going to be in the episode eight and then we'll see him coming back. We won't see Grogu. Like how, how there's a lot of ways in which they can go about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe we'll see that encounter as the start of season three, whereas he goes to deliver the uh, little armor to Grogu. And then that'll kind of connect the pieces for everybody else. I think it's possible. I think there's a chance we're not going to see Din again until the very end of this season. Um, mm. If at all, although Boba's story has to climax in some kind of way. Obviously, the point is they need their muscle, and that's the reason yeah. they've woven it in. But I kind of think we're not going to see him next week. We might, but and I would be fine if we did. Um, but uh, I don't. I don't think we're going to. Um, I'm trying to like get my thoughts together and figure out like what I want to talk about next. Do we now go to Tatooine and? the restoration of the the starfighter did that really excite you i thought for a sure. second it was going to be uh -huh. like built out of an old pod racer because it looked a little bit like annie's pod racer um i thought they were going i at first i thought they were going for an even deeper cut i don't know why but i thought it was going to be one of what grievous's starfighter was i thought it was a belba lab oh um just based on the shape uh, under the tarp and then of course uh it was it was an n1 and i was I, it took me a second to realize what it was. It was just, I, and I, I paused it and it was like, oh my God. And then it played right away <laughs> because I wasn't sure how long they were going to show it for us. But uh, it was that shop was just full of excitement. Yeah. And that, of course, was the crown jewel. I think when we did a podcast episode about our favorite ships, I think the N1 might have been on my on my short list. I, I just always thought it was like such a, a sleek little, it almost looks like, um, like a butterfly in, in its own way. Cause it's very, very classy and Nabooey and looking. Uh, but now it's yeah. quite beat up. I kind of hoped that it would get a new paint job. I kind of hoped that he would give it like a green or, or something, but, uh, I don't know. I guess his color tends to be just the silver. Um, with the little yellow markings too, just like the razor crest. And notably they removed the, 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 the brackets for, uh, an astromet droid. And instead, there's just like a little bubble where clearly Grogu is meant to sit eventually. Yes. And the best part about that little bubble is that, yes, Grogu is obviously going to be in there. But what does an astromech do? They, they can do little repairs. Mm. Well, if you don't have an astromech in there, they'll have to be able to use the force. Or like maybe some buzz droids will come up on board and Grogu can just kind of like concentrate and clear the buzz droids off. Uh, or um, do what I've wanted to see in live action, which was when Vader... Uh, was in his starfighter and went like face to face with another starfighter and choked out the other pilot. <laughs> uh, I thought that was always a cool move. Yeah. So it'd be cool to see Grogu like like mess with somebody's cockpit. Like you see, like Din's in like a dogfight and then Grogu's there and he's he's messing with the controls like like in their cockpit by pressing buttons with the Force or something. I don't know. It's just I think it opens up a lot of possibilities for their little dynamic duo. 
that bubble. So I was, uh, I thought that was great and really smart. Speaking of using the force, I might be reaching a little bit, but it seemed to me in the second half of this episode, there was a lot of young Anakin imagery from the piloting of the N1 to being on Tatooine in general. And then in particular, when he was like first learning to fly it, like out in the canyons, just in terms of cinema felt so much like that, that Boonta Eve classic. Uh, and then even a little bit when he's talking to the cops, it almost feels like he's able to force convince them a little bit of of who he's not. Not totally successfully, but what I'm trying to say is, like, do we think that there is a chosen one component to Din's story? Does he have the force? If if not literally, is he uh, some kind of ultimate hero in a similar way as Anakin? I think that yeah, I mean he's our he's our protagonist, and he will have a, a similar hero's journey. And the number of comparisons there are amazing. So he goes down Beggars Canyon, and he flies over a womp rat, and he he absolutely he does the Bunta circuit. He is in an N one above Tatooine and tries spinning because that's a cool trick. Uh, yep. He is like he's doing all of these amazing uh, Anakin and and Luke things. Uh, but he's also doing this very George Lucas thing by being in a hot rod, which is also very Anakin, which yep. George Lucas tries to make these comparisons and he speeds away and he's got like the the elevated engine with like the the turbo boosters on top, like the way that like muscle cars have. And so it's got all of these things that are focusing on uh, Luke and Anakin and that hero, like like you say, um, and also in Legends. Boba is the one, and this has been brought up a little bit recently, and I think I think he's going to be right, that Boba ends up uniting Mandalore in mm. Legends. And the way Din is taking his place in the current canon, it just makes sense that Din slash Grogu, one of them will be the chosen one of Mandalore mm -hmm. and become the Mandalore. Yes. That, like, the Mandalore is also a title too, weirdly enough. And so the Mandalorian will become the Mandalore or Grogu will become the Mandalore in the end. But one of the two of them will, and it's their clan. And so I, I do think that uh, everything you said in terms of a chosen nature is, is correct. Well, I just thought of one more Anakin adjacent thing. He comes back after the joyride and uh, Amy Sedaris asks him how it was. And what does he say? What adjective does he use? wizard wizard <laughs> i that was actually my biggest fist bump moment of the episode yeah. uh it just it, after like all these amazing things they just added up added up added up added up and then he gives us just a cool as hell wizard and it's like i i don't need any more dank fair I, I i do like dank ferric but like bring me some more wizard in star wars said by badass din Djarin, uh as opposed to like kitster yeah, uh, I want to see that. That uh, that that was a lot of fun to see. There's also a lot of just great quotes in this episode versus the rest of the series thus far. You want to rattle any off? Sure. Yeah. Um, when Din uh, is talking to uh, the Clatoonian at the beginning, um, uh, oh, I don't know if I see him. I see him right now. Uh, I have no quarrel with you. Uh, I can bring you in warm. I can bring you in cold. It's yes. Classic lines, of course. Yes, of course. That felt really good. In um, fact, I kind of thought that was like a good title for this episode until later when Amy Sedaris said, hey, look, everyone, it's Mando. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we got to call the <laughs> podcast that. 
<laughs> that that one probably is a good one. Uh, sadly, it only exists in Legends would have been another good title, I thought. I thought that too. Um, I kind of thought there was like a weird like meta winking at like longtime super fans with that because we're talking about like because Mandalorians and and Boba, not Boba, have been so heavily chronicled in Legends that felt like them winking at the EU. That's absolutely what I thought. And, and, and so I thought that one really stood out to me uh, as being kind of a, a fun little thing. And it, it also like songs of eons past foretold the mythosaur rising up to herald a new age of Mandalore, uh, which is a great line. Uh, Mandalore uh, will be laid waste and its people scattered to the four winds. Mm. Um, I'd put that on ice if I were you. That's from Din. Uh, and Din, if you do me the honor of letting me pass, you can all help yourselves to whatever you think you deserve from your former employer. I now, that also, is a mob movie line. You're right. That I is, also really fits right in Boba Fett. Fixated on the way he chose to phrase that because he is like you just know like when he walked away back in that room, they're tearing each other apart for their share of the money, right? Like they're mm. all getting greedy, and he knows that, and he's just like, well, that's not my problem. But like, it's mm. his way of like judging them before they've done anything. Uh, lascivious and I just it was like you're right he's really in control of the moment oh absolutely and he does because he, he's exhausted at this point yeah. and he's stabbed himself a couple times he's like I already got my head in a bag let's just make this easy <laughs> um the they lost their way and we lost our world that's mm. a good line yeah that's really nice uh, you're fighting against the blade you should be fighting against your opponent so yeah, about that. Does the dark saber have? I mean, I know it's m mystical, but it does it does it kind of have like a one ring quality where like it's it's not allowing him to fight with it to its full potential because he's not giving himself to its control. A little bit, but lightsabers are a little bit like that anyway. Okay, uh, in the sense that the kyber crystal bonds with the user, and so the only time really we've seen non. Uh, force sensitive people wield a lightsaber would be Han for like two seconds cutting open a tauntaun so he doesn't need accuracy to be able to do that uh, and Sabine and Sabine uh, gets a lesson from Kanan when she first discovers the darksaber and so when Bo-Katan is gifted the darksaber it's from Sabine Yeah. Uh, and Sabine is a character from Rebels and so she is trained to use the Darksaber by Kanan. And she talks about how heavy it is and how it's like difficult to control and wield. And Kanan says it's because you're not focused. And the whole point is that this episode of Rebels that talks about this is one of the episodes that really leads you to kind of believe that even the non-Force sensitive could be Force sensitive a little bit. Uh, in the sense that the Force kind of lives a little... Well, we do know the Force lives in all of us in the Star Wars galaxy. And so in that way, anyone can tap into it to a certain extent if you're focused enough, but maybe not the ability to do anything, but maybe the ability to tap into Kyber, which is something that is so imbued with the Force anyway. And so right. Din... Uh, not connecting with the saber is a spiritual thing that is also kind of connected with the force, even if he doesn't, even if he's not force sensitive. So it, it is, it does make sense. It is consistent. Uh, and I think adds a, adds a, a fun new layer of him uh, learning to battle and conquer and, and fight with it, not uh, against it. I'm also thinking about how 
Finn in The Force Awakens fits into that equation because I, I, I don't know if we can canonically say with assurance that Finn for sure has the Force, although it's clearly like quasi written into the subtleties mm. of, of episode nine. And so like, that's what you and I believe. And I think that that's what we're supposed to believe. Um, and it's in the holiday special as well. Oh, that's that, a good like, point. He has yeah. the Force. It's a shame that so it's confirmed it, it's there much, anywhere. But yes, you're... You're yeah. right. It's it's pretty much uh, something you can rely on. He uses a lightsaber that he hasn't had an opportunity to bond with, and he uses it with with a certain amount of like gusto. I realize he gets beaten, but like he uses it pretty pretty um, capably, even against Kylo Ren. Um, and I wonder if that's a little bit more like a sort of Godric Gryffindor situation where it like comes to the Gryffindor who needs it most. And like, it's like the, the Graflex is cooperating with Finn because he is pure of heart. I think that is absolutely the case when it flies to Ray's hand in the snow. But I think that uh, Finn being able to use it is just, I think maybe in this case, uh, a good example of it being something that requires you to be force sensitive to wield with any capability. Yeah. Finn was force sensitive and he didn't struggle to wield it. Whereas uh, Din, I think this is good proof that he's just not force sensitive. He needs to tap into the force, even though he's not force sensitive or tap into uh, the spirituality or, or the whatever that kind of, the spirituality that allows him to connect into the force of the blade uh, to work with it sort of. So uh, I, that definitely, uh, uh, is in aligned and the way Kyber is expanded in uh, current canon gets me just really excited in general. I don't ever know if we ever talked about this uh, on the show or ever talked about it ever. And it's totally has nothing to do with anything on here, but it was an amazing theory that I heard a few months back. Um, and if we haven't mentioned it, uh, the cave of mirrors on Octo. Okay. Uh, Maybe that's made of Kyber. Mm. Uh, and maybe that's where Ray gets her Kyber crystal that she makes uh, her saber with at the end of the Rise of Skywalker. And so that would explain why it sings out to her and calls out to her and why uh, it can show things within the forest. It just it's it's kind of an interesting thought that uh, I, I heard posited somewhere. And so but anyway, Kyber is something that I think uh, there are so many mystical stories that are yet to be told uh, in Star Wars about so that it gets me excited. Yeah, they they seem to be even post acquisition. They seem to be more interested in talking about the the specific lore of items as opposed to people. Um, and mm. the the dark saber is like a great example of that. Were you at all surprised that the other two Mandos let Din keep the dark saber when they banished him? Like, I know they didn't like technically win it from him, but like they need that thing to get their race back together and. Now they don't even consider him a Mandalorian anymore. Yeah, and so it's definitely weird. They wouldn't. They they would need to to win it. But I'm surprised that she doesn't have any desire to take it. Yeah. She clearly. I think she followed Maul. She was part of Death Watch. They're pretty. They're confirming all that. She doesn't come like they're crazy cultists that come from a cult of like warrior murderers yeah. uh, that were a, a, a Mandalorian extremists. And so she's an extremist offshoot of extremists. Uh, and so the fact that she has a code to not then fight Din for it, which she could clearly beat Din in a fight at this stage, mm -hmm. uh, just based on their training, they show it. 
she's able to use her wrench and hammer and then or tweezers and hammer and beat him basically. Uh, so it that seems a little odd that she that Paz is the one who goes up where he's clearly not the superior fighter, uh, but but wants it for his motives. But she kind of is this really neutral, uh, just stoic for almost the sake of being stoic so there's some backstory there we we need to understand her motives a bit more is she going to be an antagonist for him through the long haul or is she actually eventually going to soften up and see that he is mandalore after all and that like maybe like i realize like some of the remaining uh mandalorians are going to uh stick to their guns so to speak and they're they're probably going to become villains in doing so maybe bo katan is one of those people um but although she's already on the outs with, like, say, the armorer, mm. I think there are other Mandalorians who will come around the way Din has started to. I, I agree. And I think that a new way will be formed. Mm. Uh, I do foresee the armorer being an antagonist at one point, yes. whether it lasts. Uh, but there will be an uh, there will be a big blow up, I believe, uh, a lot more than this. I think that this is small potatoes to the, the, the that character has got some some layers that we're going to find some really interesting details about. Uh, I think that her, her working with Maul is a slam dunk, and I think that will be kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back for din mm -hmm. so if he finds out wait a minute you let you supported the guy who took over mandalore just because he was good in a lightsaber fight and cut the head off of the current guy who wielded the dark saber and as a result of that just like let the entire planet burn mm. and all of these horrible atrocities happen and this is also is a guy who has a reputation for killing Jedi, uh, kind of a race that I've come to, you know, appreciate. Yeah, you're not better so than me. I, you're not better than me. You, this isn't the way. You right. don't know what the way is. And um, even something like that could be enough to turn a guy like Paz Vizsla to realize, wait a minute, yeah, you're kind of like supportive Maul, and he, he killed my like grandfather or whatever it was, or my, my uncle or something, so... Yeah, maybe, yeah, you suck. What the hell? <laughs> like, like Something like that could even happen. If you get past Vizsla to turn on the armor and like, I could absolutely see something like that uh, being a, a, a rise against, uh, whereas everybody kind of unites to under a new way. I could see that happening too. Okay, so then uh, Din has to kind of like tuck his tail between his legs and get on uh, the Airbus back to Tatooine. And by the way, is is that a Karelian freighter that he takes to... Because it like, it doesn't look like the Falcon, but it sure resembles the Falcon in certain stylistic ways. Like with the, I don't Most know. likely. Yeah. So many, so many Corellian freighters and they do have a, a significant style. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's the one that we see in the trailer, which was analyzed heavily. Uh, and I know was confirmed to be a, a Kralian freighter, and they identified the model number. So I'm I'm pretty sure you're spot on that it is indeed. I was a little disappointed because uh, there's this like funny comedy scene where they won't let him on the on the ship until he checks all his weapons, and so they have this funny shot of him taking everything off of his armor that could be used as a weapon, which, as it turns out, completely fills the case. Like he has so yeah. many weapons, including the dark saber, and then he closes the case and he hands it off. 
the same way you'd have to like check your pocket knife at the airport. It's like it's basically a joke about airport security, and that's fine. But I kind of thought that it was going to have implications. Like he was going to have to fight somebody with his bare knuckles up in space, or like there was going to be some kind of consequence for him being disarmed. But it was just for comedy. <laughs> I guess it was a metaphor yeah, for uh, having for some... been kind of uh, uh, neutered by by this most recent experience. Yes. Um... Oh yes, I, I found actually uh, the, the the razor crest losing the razor crest was a nice metaphor for baggage too as well in this in this episode. Yeah, uh, it was one of I was like, hmm, yeah, she's he, he's he's gone a little more streamlined here. We, we're getting a new and improved in. This is not as much as we thought we were getting the same old din at the start of the episode. We get a little bit of a din. It din's grown, mm-hmm. and so it's this episode was. Uh, so much more nuanced than the previous episodes. It's not even close. Man. Bryce Dallas Howard like knocked it out of the park. That's right. It's like it's easily the best written episode. Uh, like the next line I have written down here is persistence without insight will lead to the same outcome. Like the episode is so well written. It's I know. just a, a bloody, uh, it, it absolutely gets my top 10 episode of live action television that I've been looking for. And so it just gets me so giddy to talk about it. I thought that too about, about Bryce Dallas Howard, like give this director a feature. She's only created yeah. fabulous star Wars. And you're right. Like not to, to rag on book of Boba Fett, which I think could have a really strong couple episode finish, but like, it just doesn't feel like we're playing in the same league. And actually it was such a great relief to come home from work today and throw on what I thought was going to be the next episode of Boba, but is actually like a sneaky episode of Mando. And to be reminded that Mando's like my favorite friggin' show. It's so good. And it's still yeah. good. And that like, we only have to wait like a few more months before we get to see season three. It's such a great like little appetizer for what's to come in Star Wars. Um, because what a lot of people are starting to say when we discuss Star Wars I mean, me with them is, gee, this doesn't look too good for Star Wars television. Like, uh, I guess the Mando is a fluke and Star Wars TV shows aren't going to be as good. And like, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I'm not heartbroken by Book of Boba Fett not being my favorite show of all time because I I didn't need for it to be. I'll be really disappointed if Obi-Wan Kenobi's not really, really great. I have high hopes for that show. And so that's, I'm more nervous for it. But like if, if an episode of Book of Boba Fett kind of bores me a bit, I don't lose sleep over that. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, when I think about like the way that as much as you don't need to rank these properties, yes, Mandalorian is like right up there in original trilogy territory yeah. quality. I'm not expecting that from everything from Star Wars. It's unreasonable. And that's not fair to. Book of Boba Fett is more in like the... Rogue One category. And I'd say probably I like Rogue One maybe a little bit more than I like Book of Boba Fett thus far. But that doesn't mean that it's like it's bad by any means. No. Uh, it's it's still been quite interesting and it's an incomplete story and it would be unfair to judge it until it's over. And also, this episode is still part of this TV show True. even if it felt like it was part of another one uh, and maybe should have been part of another one. Uh, but it was part of this show and was was wonderful. So, uh, uh, and there's also, I was just gonna say, uh, Din runs into the the X wing pilots again. One who mm. he's met a number of times, and then who is this other guy? The guy he was talking to at first, like we weren't supposed to recognize him, but does he have any kind of external significance as an actor? Yes. So he actually 
is um, he probably the was the most famous actor scene uh, character in Star Wars uh, in like the most recent like ten years. Um, he 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 played Luke uh, in season two of the Mando oh. um, with Mark with Mark Hamill. So yeah, his uh, Max Lloyd Jones. Uh, so he was the the co Luke Skywalker from season two of Mando, and so he got some 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 FaceTime in nice. addition to his screen time. That's a classy yeah. move on the showrunner's part. Like let's let's give this guy a, a moment in the spotlight. He he's important now to Star Wars, and like I'm sure he was thrilled to get to do that scene. What else? Uh, what else do you want to say about this episode? Any other big observations? So there was also the BD series droid. Those are from Jedi Fallen Order. The little uh, tiny two-legged droid that looks a little like an ATST, uh, and that's kind of like a backpack droid, or but it's a it's a buddy droid. Uh, and those are just some of the. He's, he's one of the cutest characters, BD one in all of Star Wars, uh, and is a phenomenal. Uh, one of the best droids, really, like e like top three droid in Star Wars, and that's saying a lot. Uh, the BD series design. Uh, and uh, it was awesome to see that in live action. So much personality in that little design. I I loved everything about the the garage sequence. Like I I remember finding Amy Sedaris's character. I always forget her name. I I like Amy Sedaris a lot, obviously. Pelly. But Pelly is that her name? I I didn't care for her when she hmm. first turned up in Mando, and now I kind of really like her. She's really grown on me a whole lot, and I like that she has this recurring friendship with Mando, and she's actually like pretty reliable. But she's She's un she's unintimidated by him, which I think is cool. But she's also kind of unimpressed by him, <laughs> and and she like likes yeah. Grogu, but she's she finds the his whole deal to be kind of like goofy, and so she's just she's a really really good stationary ally for for Din. Yeah, it's nice that he's got somebody that he can go back to the old mechanic shop where he can. Uh slap some paint on his on his vehicle get it gassed up and then go back out in the road uh it was very uh, uh grease lightning uh in, in space uh <laughs> yeah. like like force lightning uh, right oh force lightning uh so it was uh it was a fun scene i thought the overall uh resulting product would make george lucas very proud me too uh and just couldn't have felt uh like a better blend of of trilogies uh, and also, yes, as we talked before, so great to see Carson Teva. Um, anything else you want to say about this episode? No, that's uh, that's kind of it for me. Do we have anything in Star Wars news? Uh, not a ton in the news, uh, but there are three new video games coming out confirmed from EA. And so that does confirm a Jedi Fallen Order 2, which is awesome. Uh, I love the first one. Uh, so that is very uh, encouraging. Nice to see. Uh Anthony Daniels as well is back to doing uh, mocap performances. And so uh, I believe it's for a droid story, uh, which makes me intrigued to see. And that aligns with my hypotheses that this is going to be a cool experiment and that we're going to see a new type of animation. And the fact that he's doing mocap means I'm already right. So that's cool. Yeah, that's very exciting. And that's it, eh? That and one other great piece of casting news that... Uh, it's staying within the family in the galaxy far, far away. And uh, Obi-Wan's uh, real-life love interest will be playing somebody in Ahsoka. And so yeah. we have Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who will be is cast in the Ahsoka series uh, under a role that we do not yet know. By the way, she's perfect for Star Wars. I don't know why I didn't think of it before. I'm, I'm thrilled to see her cast. Um, 
it's so funny that she's in her own project, like nothing to do with Ewan's project. There's really no chance there's going to be any crossover between their their scenes. Um, but she's like, well, hey, I want to be in Star Wars, too. And so they found her a, a probably a great role. So I think this is awesome. Yeah, no, this makes a lot of sense. And although we don't know if Hera is going to be in the show, but Hera, they're ca- recasting a lot of characters from Rebels. And if Hera is one of the main characters from Rebels and uh, she's a Twi'lek and I don't know, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's face feels like a very good live action representation of what Hera would look like. Yeah. Uh, and I see I see no reason why that couldn't be a good fit in terms of having a, a solid actor, depending on the level of the role. If this is the case, uh, then the fact that they've brought her on as early as they have means it needs to be a character of some significance. And so if it's a character we already know, I think the best chance is it's Hera. Otherwise, it's probably a new character. So there are, uh, yet again, no Star Wars birthdays. We're in a bit of a a birthday desert. But we do have uh, a little bit of mailbag action this week, which is kind of exciting. Um, Yes. A fairly long uh, write-up from Chris. Uh, Chris basically is not terribly thrilled with the Book of Boba Fett so far. Not unlike how a lot of people feel, but he's taken the time to write out what he thinks would be a better way to at least incite uh, a remount of the Book of Boba Fett. Some stuff he thinks uh, really works and we could keep it. Other stuff he thinks it just needs to have a little bit more oomph behind it. So I'm going to read to you uh, essentially verbatim what he sent to our email. So this is Chris talking now. Okay, so I'm watching the new Boba Fett series and I am enjoying it on the basis of the fact that it's new Star Wars content. I'm never going to complain about new Star Wars content. But there are obviously many problems with the show, not the least of which is the fact that they want Boba Fett to be a crime lord. But because he's a Disney hero, they don't seem to want their leading man to get into any criminal activity. So here's my rewrite of the show. Um, The show opens with Boba Fett unconscious in the Sarlacc pit. Let's just say that the Sarlacc is dead now after all the commotion from Return of the Jedi. In the pit with him is not a stormtrooper, but a clone trooper. We've heard before that the Sarlacc digests you over a thousand years. So maybe this clone trooper has been down there for like a decade or more, and we learn that the Sarlacc actually keeps its victims alive while it digests, Matrix style. We see the clawed hand of Boba Fett pull himself through the sand, but we soon learn that the clone that pulls himself free is not, in fact, Boba Fett. It is the clone trooper. He uses the flamethrower and other tools on Fett's armor to break free and then steals the armor. Nobody knows Fett is dead but him. And he takes the armor and assumes the role, the name, the reputation of Boba Fett on Tatooine. One timeline tells the story of Phoba Fett as he tries to build a crime empire and live up to Fett's reputation, though he's fumbling through it a little bit and he's constantly narrowly avoiding being exposed as a fraud. But then the true Boba Fett, who was left for dead, climbs out of the pit and collapses on the sand. True Boba Fett is rescued by the Tusken Raiders and his arc and development with them occurs similarly to what we've seen in the show. He's learning what it means to truly be Boba Fett without the armor for the first time, akin to Iron Man 3. Does the armor make the man or does the man make the armor? And the climax of the story is the conflict between Boba Fett and Phoba Fett, where Boba needs to defeat a physically and physiologically identical version of himself though without the use of any special armor or technology. All he has is wit, cleverness, and the tactics taught to him by the Sand People. The vibe is similar to Predator, where Arnold fights the technologically and physically stronger Predator using traps in mud. Fett eventually wins, 
earns the armor back, inherits the crime lord throne, and cue the end of the season. It takes some creativity to make this work without retconning Mando season two, but it could be done. This is a story arc of the legend of Boba Fett growing beyond ruthless bounty hunter and becoming a daimyo worthy of respect and tribute, which I thought was like a very, very thoughtful remount of the series, which gives it a a kind of a hero's journey with a little bit more uh, consequence. Yeah, this was, I thought it was really fun. It's something that uh, is honestly uh, a merge of two stories. It's the book of Boba Fett merged with uh, the story of Cobb Vanth, whereas Cobb Vanth is a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've got no issue with that. It's a different interpretation. I mean, I like the character of Cobb Vanth, and, and it, I, I don't think it could ever work in the sense of, uh, I do think there are too many major retcons you would have to do to make within Mando season two. But aside from that, if this is a world that exists pre-Mando two and the short story we have of Cobb Vanth, you could find a way to turn out that he's maybe not so much of a hero after all. And then you could have written the story that way. And it actually would have worked perfectly with the story that we had known of uh, somebody kind of recovering Boba's gear. I think the fact that it's a clone trooper down there and digesting uh, over a long period of time and staying alive and the fact that that uh, clone trooper climbing over the star but that's so smart i think that would have been such a cool kind of way in which you could oh yeah uh, like just like have blow people's minds because uh, like that's a twist you can do midway through the season and people aren't really realizing what's going on, but then you go back to the Sarlacc pit and you realize that, oh, wait a minute, oh my God, what, well, there's two of them, but then you're cluing in, that's the reason why this Boba looks so old this entire time is because he's aged at a rapid and accelerated pace versus the normal Boba, and you just, it, it, it answers all these questions. I, I, it, it creates a different show, but it's one that if it had been given to me in like the right approach, I, I never would have had any issues with and I think could have been a really, really cool way that this story was executed. Yeah, and you don't actually have to retcon that much of that season two episode of Mando. It would just be new context that who we thought was Boba was in fact not Boba. Although you bring up such an interesting point about how Boba the clone ages at a different pace than your standard clone trooper. I, I definitely forgot about that facet and that would be something they could have they could play around with. But the other thing that it reminds me of, and he's used a couple of pop culture uh, comparisons in this little little write-up. The other thing it reminds me of is Mad Men, where like you discover some way through the, the first season that he's actually not Don Draper at all. There was this like explosion and he just took someone's identity and made it into something. And like that's that's like a pretty cool thing to do with Boba Fett considering he didn't have that much of a backstory canonically to begin with. And so it's like, it really is somebody like stepping into the role in a literal sense. I just got at the end there in a literal sense. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. We're having some, uh, some Wi-Fi problems today, but I think we've arrived at the end of the episode, which is the most important thing. <laughs> If you have any uh, thoughts on Star Wars the way Chris has done, oh man, we would so see we get no ma- mail. We would spend a lot of time Love discussing it. your mail. 
Recorder66podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Recorder66. Um, as always, please make sure you rate and review on your preferred podcast app or if you're joining us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. Next week, we're uh, probably going to be back with Boba Fett. So we'll be talking about him in the penultimate episode of season one of the book of Boba Fett. So make sure you've seen that by the time you listen to next week's episode. And until we are together again, may the force be with you.